From alcohol to nicotine to prescription opioids, most substances of abuse can create sleep disturbances that continue even into abstinence. Untreated sleep disturbance can be a significant relapse trigger, yet most FDA-approved hypnotics are controlled substances. How can you break the cycle of insomnia in patients with addictive disease? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Deirdre Conroy. Dr. Conroy is Clinical Assistant Professor of Psychiatry at the University of Michigan. Welcome to ReachMD, Deirdre. Thank you for having me. After you've made the diagnosis of insomnia in a patient that has a coexisting addictive disease, what do we do next? Well, it's important to address the addiction, whatever it may be. If the patient is currently using the substance or is drinking, that's really going to play a big role in whether the patient's sleep can improve. So whatever treatment they are involved with, that would be the first step. Once that's under control or the patient has been receiving treatment formally or through a fellowship like Alcoholics Anonymous, then you can jump in and start looking at the insomnia and really starting the treatments, the number of treatments that we have for insomnia. But what happens so often, I think, especially in primary care, a patient will come in and and they really have no interest in stopping their drug or or especially alcohol. So they're complaining of insomnia. They're still drinking. They don't want to stop drinking. What do we do? Well, you want to talk to the patient about that, whether it's in your office at that time or recommending some of the options they may have available to them in the center, whether there is an addiction treatment service. A lot of times in my practice, I educate. So I discuss the effects of alcohol or the substance on sleep. And if their concern is about sleep, then discussing that sleep disorder and its role in getting better is important for the, for the patient to understand, which may also increase motivation, including the patient in the decision-making process is often quite helpful. So it sounds like the common thing that happens in many offices of just giving them a prescription for Ambien may not be the best idea. Not in all cases, no. There are certainly other medications that may be better for them. It's certainly an individual case basis. What treatment options are least likely to interfere with their sobriety? Well, if we separate from pharmacotherapy to non-pharmacotherapy, in terms of pharmacotherapy, there are a few medications that have been researched quite a bit lately, and one of them is a medication called gabapentin, or its other name is Neurontin. And that's an anti-epileptic drug that doesn't lower the seizure threshold. That's important when you're considering alcohol-dependent patients with sudden withdrawal. And this medication has been shown in some studies to help with the sleep and also prolong the rate of relapse. So in some studies, it took the patients longer to get back to drinking. They did go back to drinking, but those that took this gabapentin medication didn't relapse as soon as the others that didn't take the medication. But gabapentin is not FDA-approved to treat insomnia, right? That's right. So it is an off-label prescription medication Although in clinical practice, a lot of patients seem to tolerate it well, and it's more uh, appropriate for this patient population. So gabapentin is one. In the real world, sometimes we see trazodone being used or even quetiapine, Seroquel. What do you think of those? That's right. Actually, trazodone is prescribed most often for patients with insomnia in primary care settings, and quetiapine is also prescribed frequently. And 
you know, both of these medications are used for their sedative properties, and they are turned to by physicians treating the patients with addictions because there is less abuse potential, as opposed to, say, a benzodiazepine like or non-benzodiazepine like Ambien, as, as you mentioned. So those are certainly quite effective for some of these alcohol-dependent patients. Which of the benzos or the more sedative hypnotic medications do you find to be the most troublesome in these addicted patients? Well, anytime you are dealing with a benzodiazepine in these patients, it could increase the probability that something could go wrong, like increasing the dose or even some rebound insomnia or the potential if you were to mix the benzo with alcohol, if the patient is still actively drinking, that could contribute to, to some problems. So in general, the benzodiazepines. Do you use patient contracts in this population when they are on a prescription sedative hypnotic, which may be abusable? Some do. Some clinicians do. Not all the time. The addiction psychiatrists in our centers occasionally will use the contracts if they are prescribing a benzodiazepine or if they anticipate that they'll be prescribing them for a long period. Typically, these contracts can list the frequency of changing the dose, missed prescriptions, or in some cases, doctor shopping, things like that, but not in every case. If you're new to our channel, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lent, your host, and with me today is Dr. Deirdre Conroy from the University of Michigan. We are discussing treating insomnia in addicts. We've covered pharmacotherapy. Let's talk for a moment about psychotherapy. What options do we have there? Well, with the non-pharmacological options, there is uh, cognitive behavioral therapy specifically for insomnia, which it's an empirically-based treatment that works with the patient on behavior and thinking about sleep. This is something that works on all types of problems with sleeping, whether that includes sleep hygiene, which can refer to what you do around sleep. For example, in this population, patients may use alcohol before bedtime. That would be addressed specifically. And changing the way they think about sleep. And early studies have shown that this treatment, specifically with the alcohol-dependent patients, has been quite effective in helping them fall asleep and stay asleep and feel more rested during the daytime. So it takes a while for the treatment to kind of kick in, but the effects are longer lasting and can actually be comparable to taking a medication after, say, five, five to eight weeks of cognitive behavioral therapy. And much less likely to abuse, I would imagine. Well, yes, and that's why it is a desirable treatment for this patient population. Deirdre, can non-psychologists learn how to do CBT for insomnia? Yes, they can. A number of different clinicians are now becoming skilled in cognitive behavioral therapy. There are courses that are offered through the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. There are apprenticeships that any kind of clinician can do. The best bet would be to shadow a clinician that is certified in behavioral sleep medicine. And there is a list of all those clinicians on the American Academy of Sleep Medicine website. So these sleep labs can open up their lab to having clinicians watch to see the patient progress and to offer the opportunity for them to be certified in doing this type of therapy. And what is that website? 
www.aasmnet.org. When is CBT not appropriate? Anytime you have a patient with an unstable or untreated either medical or psychiatric illness. And primarily the reason for that is if there is, say, for example, untreated depression or anxiety or any kind of psychiatric disorder, that may interfere with the progress of the the cognitive behavioral therapy. So that's something that you'll want to either work with a psychiatrist or the prescribing physician or primary care physician as they're undergoing that so that that doesn't impede their ability to improve. Let's say you're in primary care, see kind of everything imaginable. When is it appropriate to refer these patients out to either a sleep doc or a psychologist? The patients that report that they have had insomnia all their life and that they have tried the medications and they have tried the behavioral strategies, those are the patients that I see most of. Usually when I see them, they have gone through the list of the medications They've read books. They'll tell you the treatments back and forth. So it's really chronic insomnia patients who have really tried all the options and still they have persistent sleep problems. Now, what about some of the more, quote-unquote, natural therapies for these patients like melatonin or it sounds like we have tryptophan back again as an option or, or valerian root? There are so many different things sold in the health food store. Does any of that make a difference for these folks? Well, yeah, and you had mentioned melatonin. Now, melatonin has now been FDA approved in a medication called Rosarem or Remelteon. That is a melatonin receptor agonist, and it's approved for helping people who have trouble falling asleep. And that is actually an appealing option specifically for patients with a history of addiction because it's working on a different system. So it's not a benzodiazepine. It's not working necessarily in the GABA system. It's working in the melatonin system. So that can be useful. There are Actually, there are no studies in the alcohol-dependent or substance-abusing population, but that can be quite effective. And there's also melatonin over-the-counter, which can work a little bit differently. The disadvantage of taking melatonin over-the-counter is that it's not FDA-regulated, so the actual dose that you're getting may not be what it says on the bottle. You may get a little bit more or less, but that certainly can be effective. And a lot of my patients actually say that it does help them in some ways. The other ones that you had mentioned, like valerian, there are a lot of teas, sleepy time teas. You know, there aren't many studies that have examined objective improvements in sleep with these. Some people will say it does help them fall asleep, but this isn't something that's statistically significant. So I usually take it on an individual basis. Some people will say that it works and other people say it will not. So if it works, probably not a bad thing, but don't count on it. Exactly. Great. Well, thank you so much for being on our show today. Thank you for having me. We've been speaking with University of Michigan psychologist Dr. Deirdre Conroy about treating insomnia in patients that have a coexisting substance abuse problem. I'm Dr. Leslie Lent. You're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For a complete program guide and downloadable podcast, visit our website at www.reachmd.com. You'll even be able to hear today's interview. Thank you for listening.